0: are, defines how you build. This is the Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you by Stanford eCorner.
1: What's the point of entrepreneurship education? I'm Chuck Easley, Associate Professor in Stanford's Department of Management Science and Engineering, and in this episode, we're going to explore that fundamental question. It's an important question, not just for universities, but also for local and national government. Education and training in entrepreneurship is often promoted as a force that can create jobs, spur much-needed technological innovation, and even reshape the global geopolitical balance. Yet in a recent research paper I wrote with yong Sook Lee at Stanford's Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies, we found something that might seem counterintuitive. Looking at data from Stanford alumni, including those who participated in programs run by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program and the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies in Stanford's Graduate School of Business, we found that entrepreneurship education seemed to have zero impact on startup formation rates among alumni of those programs. We'll include a link to that paper in the show notes on eCorner. So if entrepreneurship education doesn't necessarily create more startups, why do it? We did find some evidence that entrepreneurship education results in a higher quality pool of founders. Those who do start companies tend to get started sooner after graduating, have a lower rate of failure, connect more with fellow alumni, and create larger firms with more revenue. And in any case, at STVP, we believe that entrepreneurship and innovation is about much more than founding a company. We believe that an entrepreneurial mindset can inspire individuals to do innovative work in large companies, governments, nonprofits, academia, and even activism in the arts. But I was curious how others in the field of entrepreneurship education would react to our findings. Were they aiming to create more startups? Or did they have a different North Star? And what educational approaches did they find to be most effective, whatever their goals might be? I started out by connecting with John Fell at Duke, my own undergraduate alma mater. John is a philosopher-turned-entrepreneur-turned-educator who runs Duke's Innovation and Entrepreneurship Initiative, which exposes hundreds of Duke undergraduate and graduate students to training in entrepreneurship and innovation every year. I figured he would have a particularly thoughtful take on this vital question. So. In, in terms of the study, um, you know, what we found, at least in the Stanford alumni data set, was that entrepreneurship education on the whole didn't seem to increase raw startup creation rates, but did help founders get started more quickly and, and perhaps most importantly, help them to gauge their ability or fit with entrepreneurship. Do these findings surprise you? And Either way, how would you articulate the goals of entrepreneurship education from your perspective?
0: Number one, to your first question, the goal, the results do not surprise me. Uh, in fact, I would say that should be by design, because the goal of a, uh, I don't think the goal of an entrepreneurship education uh, process or program is to make people start companies. It is to equip them to be good at it if they choose to start a company and that involves critically evaluating both the opportunity they're looking at the need they're serving their own capabilities what's required to be successful so in a sense it raises the threshold for entry because it makes students more aware of what's involved and more more critical even if uh, you decide Uh, to embark on an academic career, or you're going to go work for a large corporation. The skill set, the orientation to action, the critical uh, abilities that we teach, we think are relevant uh, everywhere, and that is also by design. So we don't emphasize you have to go start a company as the goal, but we say the practice of thinking through starting a company creating the innovation evaluating it which the best educational context for which is a startup is a skill that you can then apply anywhere when i ran the experiential entrepreneurship education program we called brilliantly called the program for entrepreneurs which was a two year sequence culminating in a startup if successful in the we had a kickoff event in the summer before students came And I said, this is the lowest cost opportunity to fail that you will ever have. And that's a golden opportunity. The idea of of embarking on a venture and then seeing why it didn't work out is a very, very useful learning. So we didn't measure success by how many startups did we create. We measured success by how many well-equipped students graduated and went on to more successful careers and in some cases, uh, eventually started companies.
1: John's perspective at Duke seems to parallel our own approach at the Stanford Technology Ventures program, presenting entrepreneurship education as a useful path to starting a venture, but a path to many other careers as well. After speaking with John, I connected with Hadiya Mujib. Like John, I found her to be particularly insightful when it comes to talking about how we train future entrepreneurs and innovators.
2: I'm Hadiya Mujihi. I'm the CEO and founder of HBCU VC, where we are focused on increasing racial diversity and equity in venture capital.
1: I was interested in speaking to Hadia both because HBCU VC's programs are particularly focused on students of historically black colleges and universities, and because she's immersed in the venture capital side of the startup ecosystem. How did those contextual differences, I wondered impact how her program thinks about training future innovators can you talk a bit about the approach to, to training and supporting entrepreneurs uh, in, in, in your network and you know what what mechanisms you've seen that, that seem to be most effective in in the context of you know, HBCU universities that, that you work in yeah um, one of
2: the things that we truly anchor on is is what we call a culturally affirming curriculum right you know out of necessity um, a lot of black and brown uh, people are are entrepreneurs uh, but we don't necessarily call it that and we haven't labeled it that right and it took me a long time to understand that I came from a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, my mother my, my, my mother and my grandmother uh, moved over here from Jamaica and out of necessity, to um, set up businesses uh, to take care of us and you know growing up I never saw this as entrepreneurship it was work it was what they did so that we could put food on the table but somehow this aspect of you know my grandmother who gathered a community of her friends and her family to go clean office buildings at night she had employees you know but I viewed that as work. And there was this element of entrepreneurship that seemed glamorized. It's important to, one, instill um, belief and confidence that this thing that we're glamorizing is already uh, in our community, but we may have different names, we may have different terms, and, and it may look different. And so when we talk about culturally affirming curriculum, we focus on um, some of the skill sets that may be already existing in our community um, and we're able to c- connect those dots.
1: Our research found some evidence that the social networking aspects of entrepreneurship programs may play a significant role in addition to formal training and programming. So I asked Tadia to talk about how network effects might play a role in HBCU VCs programs.
2: We anchor a lot <laughs> on the social network Um, In fact, it's one of the reasons why we're cohort based. When you're able to anchor and root yourself in some type of community, there's like this weird connected glue or fiber. I think the social network or the network based component of entrepreneurship is not only key for learning from each other, but also um, uh, there's a mode of encouragement that happens, a mode of confidence uh, that happens, uh, which I think is extremely uh, important because I've seen people who have started the path of entrepreneurship on their own, by themselves, and they only do it once, and then they shut down, and then that's it, and they were like, oh, I tried that. It didn't work out.
1: Hadia's emphasis on cohort-based approaches certainly syncs up with what we saw in our research. In the context of STVP, participation in our 12-person immersive Mayfield Fellows program was associated with the most significant entrepreneurial outcomes. Many entrepreneurship education programs are now asking themselves how they can do a better job of empowering black entrepreneurs and other entrepreneurs from underrepresented groups. So I ended by asking Hadia if she had any advice for how we can do a better job of embracing potential entrepreneurs from the black community.
2: I think it starts with um, this concept of unlearning um, and going through and unpacking how you're teaching entrepreneurship and making sure that it is culturally relevant. Um, And a prime example of this is um, how certain VCs may have a bias against co-founder relationships, co-founders who are dating or co-founders who are married. And when they see that, they see that as a red flag and, and step away and with good intention of, hey, if something goes bad here in the romantic relationship, then the company goes down with it and my money is at risk. But then if you add this other lens, there was a, I forget which study it, what it was, but close to 50% of all women entrepreneurs actually are in a relationship with their co-founder. That's a huge percentage, right? And if you take this concept of I'm not funding, you know, partners who are in a romantic relationship, you're changing the funding landscape for for women entrepreneurs. And that's detrimental. And so if I'm looking to create a diverse ecosystem, an inclusive ecosystem, how do I keep checking for those blinders um, across different identities that I do not have? I think that there is a continuous work of, unpacking curriculum to make sure that it's inclusive.
1: Hadea brings up a great point. As we're asking whether entrepreneurship education is effective, there's an added layer. We need to be asking who it's effective for, and also who's being left out of the conversation, and sometimes the classroom itself. The Stanford, Duke, and HVC UVC programs we've been talking about work mostly with current university students who haven't necessarily started to chart their career paths. But what about a program where individuals self-select towards actively pursuing a career in startup ventures? With that question in mind, I spoke with Elizabeth Brake, the COO of Venture for America. Venture for America currently operates in 13 cities, connecting recent college graduates with startup jobs and entrepreneurship training, and preparing them to lead organizations and create jobs in the communities where they work. I was curious to learn how their emphasis on a post-collegiate population impacts their programming, particularly given that startup creation does seem to be one of their core goals.
3: We are a two-year fellowship program for aspiring entrepreneurs who are recent college graduates. We're looking for people who have the skills and the interest and the ability to operate in a startup environment, which we recognize is unpredictable, often ambiguous, um, You know, very often very unstructured, and we provide them that training and connect them to jobs with startups in cities across the US. What we're doing is having them have an apprenticeship like experience in these startups where they're working for founders who are already doing the work and being in a startup and seeing what it's really like. While we are on the side, giving them programming to think like an entrepreneur, to you know, test out ideas, to build teams, to see how it works. And then ultimately for our alumni, we also have an accelerator and a seed fund. And so we're helping you learn to think like an entrepreneur, to have the experience of training with an entrepreneur. And then when you're ready to do it yourself, we have resources to help you do that.
1: So... One of the central findings in our paper is that, at least in the context of these Stanford entrepreneurship education programs, they didn't necessarily increase the startup formation rate, although they did seem to help founders to raise capital and to scale their ventures uh, more quickly to get started sooner after graduating. So we suspect that there's some filtering process going on here where students study entrepreneurship, some decide that entrepreneurship just isn't right for them and self-select a different path. Um, so one implication is that educators might think about adjusting how they teach entrepreneurship depending on the context and the goals. Can you talk a little bit more about how you articulate the goals for Venture for America and how that affects the programming?
3: We were founded on the intuition that academic training is important and helpful, but it is alone not sufficient, that real life experience is necessary. If you want to become a doctor, it's not easy, but there are people who can tell you how to do it. There is a path. You study for the MCATs, this is how you apply to school, you know, those things are, are discoverable even if they're not simple or easy. It's not really discoverable how a college senior becomes an entrepreneur. There's no set of applications, there's no one who can tell you take steps A through F and then you can be an entrepreneur. And so we really wanted to light that path and say here is, here is one way that you can get experience, that you can learn what it means, you can see people making decisions on a day-to-day basis
1: how much do you all you know, ultimately care that they start their own ventures versus finding some other way to use the entrepreneurial mindset to make an impact?
3: We care. I, our mission is to mobilize entrepreneurs. And so we, we do want people to become entrepreneurs, but we also recognize that, number one, there are some people who would rather be startup leaders in someone else's startup. And that also our fellows are still quite young. And that even though we have really increased the rate of startup activity compared to their peers, they're still people in their early to late 20s with relatively few resources, even with the resources we can provide. And I think that we will see a longer tail impact as they become older, as they have more resources, as they have more experience. So we want them to become entrepreneurs or startup leaders. We would really like them to stay in our VFA city, so they don't always. But I think that certainly the impact is is well beyond that. It's the entrepreneurial mindset that they bring to their civic activities, to their volunteer activities, to you know the other the other things that they care about and the work that they do in their city. And we just completed a On that point, a qualitative impact assessment about what does it mean to be connectors in the community who are uh, connecting perhaps siloed institutions or connecting one VFA city to another VFA city, our rate compared to not only the rates of entrepreneurship out there in the world, but the rates of entrepreneurship among people who applied to Venture for America and did not get in. So a a fairly similar group of people, especially people who became finalists and didn't get in, we're seeing that VFA fellows are... having entrepreneurial activity, they're starting businesses, they're doing side projects, they're identifying professionally as a founder of a business at a rate that's five times higher than that near-peer comparison group.
1: If data like Elizabeth's can be validated in other contexts, it could demonstrate that, at least in some non-university settings, increasing startup formation rates might be both possible and desirable. And even for programs that primarily aim to drive startup creation, There might be other fringe benefits. In another research project, my co-authors and I are examining data from the Startup Chile Accelerator and exploring how the program impacted career outcomes beyond entrepreneurship. Speaking of research, to wrap things up, I asked Elizabeth what sort of future research into entrepreneurship education might help her make important decisions in her own organization.
3: I would be interested in the difference between access to education and access to resources. You know, is it about education? Education without access to resources may not matter much. Access to resources without the education, can you make the best use of those resources? How do we pair those two, the access to the resources and the access to the entrepreneurial education, to combine them to really set young people up to be successful impactful entrepreneurs i i think that like vfa believes that we need both but i sometimes i feel like we we have only the ability to do so much and if we have to pick do we dial up the resources or do we dial up the education what do we do and how do we make sure we we pair them together well i think there's something about those relationships and i'd be really interested in someone who could tell me more about how those two things work together
1: Broadly speaking, formal entrepreneurship education in American universities really began to take off in the late 1990s. In the last few decades, the field has grown immensely. But it's still young discipline, and there are many opportunities for researchers to equip educators with data about how and why entrepreneurship education works. This kind of research could turn out to be useful not just in the US, but around the world. In many emerging economies, tech accelerators, incubators, and science parks are tools designed to kickstart entrepreneurship and innovation, and often include training and networking components. The better the data we have on how context affects the goals and outcomes of entrepreneurship, education, and training, the more communities will be able to adjust their approach to fit their own needs and objectives. That's it for this episode. In case you'd like to dig into the paper that inspired this conversation, we'll include the link in the show notes on eCorner. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this research as well. To keep the conversation going, just send a note to stanford-ecorner at stanford.edu and include the word research in your subject line. Stay tuned for future ETL research episodes. We'll be creating more of these conversations as new STVP research comes
0: out.